listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, thank you, Rusty. Are you alive? Excited? All right, let's hop into it. Acts chapter 1. This morning, as we come to an end in our series, Ghost Stories, the Study of the Holy Spirit, next week we will be kicking off a new series that we've entitled uh, The Emotionally Healthy Life. We talk a whole lot about spiritual health and physical health. We have very uh, seldom talked about what the Bible says on emotional health. And so in all of July, I'm going to be taking a break, a break, a break from uh, preaching. Rusty will be uh, bringing the word. And uh, man, I want to encourage you to be here for this. I am so excited about this series, and uh, I hope that you are as well. Um, again, let me say one more thing before I read out of Acts 1. If you are a visitor and you want more information on the church, you want to know how to get connected, or maybe you're not ready to get connected, but just want some questions answered, you can fill out a connect card uh, over here. Uh, you can grab it off this little table, fill it out, hand it to me after uh, this is over, or you can go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com, and you can learn more information that way. Okay? So, Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4, and here's what the Word of God says. And while staying with them, he, talking about Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's just pray one more time. Father, please be with us now. Help us to focus our attention on your word, on your truth. If there is anything that I am tempted to say that is not from you. I pray you shut my mouth, that you only speak your truth through me for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. I will never forget the night that I found myself locked in a jail with a man who had just got out of a straitjacket. Uh, true story. Um, I had moved back into town from uh, seminary for the summer and decided I was going to do a little jail ministry. And so um, I got paired up with a couple of the guys that were from an Assembly God church. And, and I'll be honest, I'm a seminary boy, grew up very, very, very uh, Baptist. And, uh, and Assembly of God friends that I had, they, they kind of freaked me out a little bit. I didn't know what to do with them, right? I had never really hung around anybody uh, other than it wasn't like Baptist. And so like we went to McDonald's, um, I remember before our very first a jail ministry visit, and we're like eating, you know, uh, McDonald's food, not put a French fry in my mouth, and I'll hear one of them talking, and I'll be like, excuse me, did you say something? And they'd be like, oh, I'm just talking to God, sorry. Be like, talking to God? Like, I thought we already did that before the meal, you know, like, why are you still talking to God? You know, I kind of like, it, it just confused me, and they were, they were guys that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we went to the jail, they wanted to stop outside before we went in and say, let's just pray the Spirit will fill us up, and let's pray that the Spirit will give us power. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, enough praying, man, let's, let's go preach the gospel. Like, I've been in seminary, I've taken Greek, like, I got preaching classes, my grandma told me I'm not the next Billy Graham, so like, I'm ready to go in there and convert this whole place. And so... 
you know, we're praying, like, all right, let's pray, let's get this praying stuff over with. And so uh, we walk into the jail, and, you know, they begin to take, like, our cell phones and our keys and all that. And while they're taking the stuff out of our pockets, I look into this room, and there is a man who is in a straitjacket strapped to a wheelchair and is going berserk. I mean, he's, like, yelling, he's hollering, he's trying to flip the wheelchair. And I'm thinking, like, I am so glad I'm not in there with you. And so um, we go on to this different room, and, and they lock us in the room with 25 other inmates. Now, keep in mind, I'm 23 years old. Right? I don't have street smarts. Um, I, I, and so I, I'm in there with these inmates, and I'm a little sheepish, despite the fact that you look and say, how could a guy as big as you ever be scared, Jared? It happens. And so I'm just kind of like, I don't know what this is all about. And they don't really look happy to be there. I'm pretty sure they're not even there to hear me preach. They just don't want to be in their cells. And so... Um, Anyways, I sit down, and right before we get started, we hear a knock on the door, and the jailer opens the door and says, hey, this guy wants to come into your service. And he points to the dude in a straitjacket strapped to a wheelchair. And before I can say, we're full, or whatever, the two other guys that are with me are like, yeah, bring him on in, come on, come on in. And so I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And not only do they bring him in, they begin to take him out of his jacket and remove him from the chair. I'm like, that's really smart. Uh, this guy was basically going crazy five minutes ago, and now we're going to lock him in a room with these other inmates and me, right? But that's what they do, and I kid you not, if I'm lying, I'm dying. They let him out of his chair, and he comes and sits right beside me. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, okay, this is the way it's going to end, you know? Like, this is, this is it, you know? And so I'm sitting there, but the craziest thing happened. These uneducated men begin to get up. The guys I was in ministry with, they had like a 10th grade education. They'd both basically been raised in, in, in prison. They get up and they begin to preach the gospel. And in my young, arrogant seminary mind, I'm over there thinking, oh, they didn't execute that passage correctly. And oh, that, that was a terrible transition. And oh, no one's going to follow this. But you know what happened? As they got up there and preached the gospel and stuttered through it in the most simple way they possibly could, the Holy Spirit began to move and by the end of the night, I'm holding hands with this guy who's been in a straitjacket with 11 other men in a circle who have been rocked by the grace of God and are crying out to Jesus to save them. And you can say, oh, that's just jailhouse conversion or whatever else. Look, I, whatever you want to call it, I know God was in that place. And lives were changed in that moment. And what the Lord taught me and what I think he wants to teach us today is this. As a church, we do not need more education we do not need smoother speaking skills when it comes to evangelism or better strategies when it comes to church. We do not need more connections or we do not need to be the cool church in town. If we are going to see lives change for the glory of God, what we need more than anything or anyone else is the Holy Spirit to fall on us. And that is exactly what Jesus points us to in Acts chapter 1. If you look, the context is this. Jesus has done everything he set out to do. He has come and lived the perfect life that we could never live. He then went to a cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God that was reserved for us. And then he didn't just stay in the grave. He rose from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering sin and death and hell so that we can go from being enemies of God to being his beloved children. He has accomplished everything that he set out to do. And now here he is with these disciples, with these men that he has lived in close contact with for the last three years. And when I say he lived in close contact with them, I don't mean he just like once a week for an hour spent some time with them. He ate with these men. He loved them. He served them. He taught them. 
They watched Jesus handle conflict, perform miracles, heal people, raise folks from the dead. And now here he is. He's about to leave the earth. And what's interesting to me is if you look again, despite all the time that Jesus had spent with his disciples, they still don't get it. And we see that in verse 6. He's about to ascend. I mean, think of it. He just rose from the dead and they're saying, Jesus, Lord, is this the time where you will now restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, they're saying, Jesus, we've seen all the amazing stuff that you've done. You died, and that freaked us out a little bit, but you rose from the dead. And now that you're back, Jesus, like we're going to overthrow this Roman Empire, right? Like, like now's the time. We're going to grab these weapons, and we're going to go take these mothers down, aren't we? Right, Jesus? Like that, that's, that's what this is all about, right? This, this sinful, oppressive government that's over us. Like We're going to go show them who's boss, right? Despite the fact that Jesus has spent three years with them, they still didn't get entirely who Jesus is and what he had come to do. They are still looking at Jesus as some sort of military or political leader that they believe has come to restore Israel to superpower. They don't realize that Jesus' kingdom is not made up of one certain person or one certain people group, right? But rather, Jesus had come to create a whole new kingdom, a whole new family that, that consists of different people from different backgrounds and different tribes and different tongues who come to him and confess that he is the Lord and the Savior. And to be honest, the disciple's stupidity, like it usually does, encourage me this week. Because I often, you know, I think about when it comes to the mission and it comes to discipleship, isn't it, isn't it true of all of us that there are some people, maybe it's even your spouse, if it is, don't say anything. But you look and you say, why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? You know the word of God, you know what he's called you to, why are you still living this way? And then if we can be honest, we probably look at our own hearts. I know I do my own and say, why don't I get it? I was telling someone this past week, I mean, I've been a Christian for 12 years now, and there are some areas I feel like I've grown that much. Why? And it's easy to get discouraged and think that Jesus is up there going, God, you idiots. Pull it together. But is that what we see right here? No, despite the fact the disciples didn't make every shot, didn't catch every pass, Jesus said, I'm not kicking you off my team. He says, I am about to go and I'm about to be with my Father, but when I go, I'm not going to leave you alone. He says in verse 4, I am going to send you my very own Holy Spirit. It's the same promise he'd given them in John 16. You remember Rusty talked about it when we kicked off the series, whenever Jesus went to the disciples and he says, hey, there's coming a day where I'm going to leave you. And they're like, oh, Jesus, no, 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 please don't leave. And he said, no, listen, it's actually better for you that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. Think about that today. That's like Jesus walking in in the flesh and he'd be like, oh, he's here. And then saying, hey, wait a minute. Actually, guys, yeah, glad that you're glad to see me, but it's better that I leave than I stay here so that you can have the spirit inside of you. Now, that seems pretty crazy, right? We're going to say, how in the world is that possible? And what's that all about? Well, we have to remember who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is God. And so when Jesus says, it's better for me to leave, what he's saying is, look, when I'm here in the flesh, I can just be right beside you in one place at one time. But when I send my spirit, that will be God inside of you 24-7, no matter where you go. What he's saying is you can have actually more intimacy whenever I leave because I will send my spirit to live inside of you. And what we need to remember in this series, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and all of these things, the most important thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is God. When we receive the Holy Spirit, the greatest thing is not that we get to receive gifts 
or that we get to perform miracles or that we get to have some sort of crazy experience. The greatest thing about receiving the Spirit is we receive the presence of God inside of us. When we receive the Spirit, we get to walk in intimacy with the Creator of the universe. And if you're here this morning and you say, I don't know that experience. I feel like God is distant. My relationship with Him is cold. You know what you need? You don't need a better praise band. You don't need me to go polish up on my preaching. You don't need a, a more dynamic missional community. What you need is the Holy Spirit to fill you up so that you can experience God here and now. And for some of you, you look and you say, here's a really jacked up theology. Listen carefully, especially if you've grown up in church. Some of us think, when I go to Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit, and now I have everything that I need all the time, no matter what I do, right? Well, yes and no. In Romans 8, Paul is clear that when we were give our lives to Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He even says that if we are in Christ, we have the Spirit. Right? If we have the Spirit, we are in Christ. But listen, that does not mean that when you receive the Holy Spirit that you will automatically walk filled with the Spirit for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that. Uh, think like this. This past week, our air sort of having some issues at the house. Wonderful timing, right? When it was like 100 degrees, I was so frustrated, you know, first world problems. And... Um, so we called an air guy to come and check out our air conditioning unit, and he went out there, and he did some diagnosis on it. And, and he came to us and come to find out the problem, fortunately, is not that we needed to buy a whole new unit. The problem, as he said, is the reason it wasn't operating correctly is apparently air conditioners need this stuff called Freon. Uh, didn't know that. And our unit was leaking Freon. And so in order for it to operate as it was designed to operate, he had to refill it with Freon. And you see, that's really the way the Christian life is. Because of the busyness and the stress of life, because we battle with the flesh, because there are times we don't spend moments in the Word and in prayer, because we at times consume things, Jesus says not to consume, we as Christians leak. We as Christians, therefore, need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, Jared, I don't know if I believe you. Well, let me just point you to the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. Do we have that verse? Verse 18, I believe. If we don't have it, I can just read it. Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul says... That we are, and he's writing to a church here, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, don't want to geek out on you, or Greek out on you, um, but in the original language, <laughs> only the pastors and leaders like laughed at that. And so, um, in the original language, which the New Testament is written in, is Greek, okay? And in the Greek here, whenever Paul says be filled with the Spirit, he uses a present imperative. And so really it can be translated like this. He's not saying when he says be filled in the Spirit that you are to be filled once, but he's saying you are to be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is if you are a follower of Christ, yes, you have the Spirit, but you can have more of the Spirit. When you are a follower of Jesus, yes, you have the Spirit, but there are times where you do leak and you need to be refilled. And so here's what that means. Unless you are here this morning and you're like, I've got too much joy. I've got too much peace. I've got too much of the presence of God. Then guess what? You need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we see this in the book of Acts, right? With the early church. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, right? The, the early church receives the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. But then what do we read in Acts 4? The same people pray to God and it says they are filled with the Spirit. Right? They're filled. 
When you're filled with the Spirit, you will notice. And those around you will notice. I was so convicted by this this past week in Acts 6. Do you remember whenever the early church was growing and they needed to raise up new deacons to meet some of the needs? What were they looking for in deacons? One of the main roles of a deacon, is, or, or I guess uh, responsibilities or characteristics, there we go, that's the word, of a deacon, is that they had to be people that were filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you know if someone's filled with the Spirit? Because you can look at them and tell. As we talked about earlier in this series, they exercise the gifts of the Spirit. As we talked about earlier, they're marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. You're around him like, I never felt more loved in my life than by this guy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These things flow from your life. When you receive the Spirit, guys, let's remember, it's the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to live his life. It's the same Spirit that in Romans 8 says, then raised him from the dead. This is an incredible power source that we have access to through the Holy Spirit. You would therefore expect that when you receive this power source, your life will not remain the same. You will look different. You will respond different to circumstances than those who are around you. Jesus says, I'm going to send you my Spirit and when you receive the Spirit, you will receive a power. And if you look in verse 8, why does he give us this power? He says, when you receive, he says, you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Notice that Jesus in here does not say that the main point of you receiving the Holy Spirit is so you can have goosebumps. Or the main purpose of you receiving the Holy Spirit is so you can do a bunch of cool stuff. What Jesus says in here is, no, I'm going to send you my spirit, not so that he can make much of us, but so that he can make much of me. The Holy Spirit is given to us not to make much of you and me, but to make much of Jesus. And that is one way that you can know today if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because in John chapter 15, Jesus says, the spirit testifies about me. You love Jesus, you cherish Jesus, are you walking in intimacy with Jesus, that's a sign you're filled with the Spirit. When you receive the real Spirit, more than being able to prophesy or speak in tongues or whatever, the real Jesus becomes real to you, to you. And you begin to walk with Him in intimacy you begin to cherish his life, death, and his resurrection. And as a result then of the Spirit bearing witness of Jesus, guess what happens as a response? You begin to bear witness to others about Jesus. You live as his ambassador. You represent him to the world. People look at you and say, that guy, that girl reminds me of Jesus. That's what happens. And that's what we see happen in the early church, right? That's why we see in Acts, the early church gets the label of what? Christians. That was a very derogatory term during this period. Christians was not a compliment. That was the world saying, look at these bunch of little Christ. Look at these people. They look just like Jesus. Right? And that's because when they received the Spirit, they were a people that were marked by radical generosity. They lived unified lives. They performed miracles and they proclaimed the gospel with great boldness to city after city after city. And guys, I hope you begin to believe the same Spirit that filled them up is the same Spirit that we receive today. There's no reason why we should be looking different, radically different, than the early church. You say, well, this is a special time in Scripture. Okay, well, show me in Scripture where it says it's a special time in Scripture. 
We have received the same spirit. The people in the early church, they didn't do what they did because they had it all together. They didn't do what they did because they were smarter than us or more spiritual than us. They did it simply because they walked filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have to get this today, guys. We have to get this because every single week, what are we calling you to do? To die to yourself. To get involved in a missional community. To give to the church. To bless. To serve. To make disciples. And as a result, like, our church has been doing some pretty good stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with all of it. I mean, last year, what, we gave away 145,000 pounds of food? And we have a free sporting ministry where no kid in the city has to go without sporting equipment if they can't afford it? Right? We, we give clothes to children that can't afford clothes. We make visits to the jail. We befriend those who are considered the broken and the burnt out and the hopelessly lost in our society. But what this text reminds us, that if we do not have the Holy Spirit, all of that is in vain. It's all in vain. It's all in vain. We can feed thousands and thousands of people, but apart from the Holy Spirit, they will die with full bellies but empty souls. We can pull addicts off the street. We can give children clothes. We can teach people life skills, but apart from the Holy Spirit, we are just giving them temporary satisfaction. That's all we're doing. It's all we are doing. We can hire professional musicians. And bring in the best speakers in the world and make our children's ministry as fun as it possibly can be. But apart from the Spirit, you know what will happen? You'll come here and you'll be entertained, but you will not be changed. Fellowship, Bible Church, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we will never accomplish the mission that God has given us. If Jesus himself said, I need the Holy Spirit to live the life that I'm called to live, I'm pretty sure you're going to need the Holy Spirit too. And I'm going to need the Holy Spirit too. Some of us this morning, you're grieving the Spirit. Because rather than living dependent on Him, you're living detached from Him. Some of you in here, because of past abuses, you look at the Holy Spirit and you think of Jojo the circus monkey. Right? You think, ah, the Holy Spirit, that's all weird, man. When the Holy Spirit comes to town, it's like a circus. That's crazy. I'm going to obey the 11th commandment, which I've created, which says, do not do it all, but others do poorly. So no Holy Spirit for me. Or some of you maybe treat the Holy Spirit like that kind of weird relative, right? It kind of makes everyone awkward. And it's like he's a part of the family, and we love him, but we don't really know what to do with him, so there's no real relationship. Right, guys, we need to repent of that today. The Holy Spirit is God, He's good, he's right and perfect. We need the Holy Spirit as much as we need God the Father and God the Son. We need him. And so today, if you've been living a life that is detached from him, repent. Repent of your self-righteousness. Repent of your arrogance. Humbly go to him and ask to fill you up so that you can live the life that he's called you to live. Some of you this morning, you are bored out of your minds. You are living a safe, predictable life that, to be honest, if God pulled his spirit away from here, your life wouldn't change at all. And one day you're going to draw your last breath on earth, and you're going to have to say, I lived an entire life without God ever moving mightily on my behalf. Are you okay with that? Like, honestly, I, I'm not, if you are, you are. But are you okay with that? If you are, listen, you have great reason to be concerned for your soul. Jesus has given us his spirit 
so that we can be empowered for his mission. And if you're here today and you're like, I really don't want to see God move mightily in my half for the sake of the mission. I'm just going to sit back and play it safe and be comfortable. Then you have no assurance you've received the Holy Spirit. And therefore, no assurance that you've received true salvation. If you're sitting here this morning and you hear this and you're like, I'm not okay with this. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to walk filled with him. I want, whatever Jesus has, I want all of it. Whatever gifts, whatever, for, I, I want it all. If you're here today and you're like, I, I want to see him use me mightily on his behalf, then I've got good news for you. I don't know if we have John 7, 37 through 39. Do we have that? If not, I can flip to it. We have it? We can put it on the screen? Um, in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, I believe that's right, yeah. Here's what Jesus says. You want the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is John 7, 37 through 39, for those of you taking notes or we want to look at it. He says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, I will flow rivers of living water. Now, what is Jesus talking about? John tells us. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. You want to receive the Spirit today? You don't need to try harder to be better. You just need to go to Jesus. And the first question Jesus is going to ask you is not, well, have you been baptized? First question he's going to ask you according to this is not, have you read through the book of the Bible? Have you shared your faith recently? What's the question he's going to ask you if you go to Jesus today? Are you thirsty? Are you looking for satisfaction? If so, that's all the requirements you need. He says you don't have to look to money. You don't need a better spouse. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need drugs. You don't need alcohol. You don't need more likes on Facebook. If you want to be satisfied, he said, come to me as you are. And I will quench your thirst by filling you up with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great news today? So that's my encouragement to you. As we end in this series, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burnt out? Are you bored? Do you feel like God is distant? Have you become stingy? Are you on edge? Is there a storm going on inside of you all the time? You feel weak? Are you scared? You feel like you just can't get rid of that guilt? Struggling with some of the same stuff over and over. What you need to do this morning is just simply go to Jesus. He has not simply given you his life for the forgiveness of your sins. Today he says, I want to give you my very Holy Spirit so that you can know me, so that you can walk with me, you can experience the power that you need to fulfill the life I've called you to, and ultimately you can be satisfied in a way that you can find satisfaction nowhere else. As we come to an end today in our series, I hope it's just the beginning. I hope it's just the beginning for those of you that call this your home, for us to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, understanding what it means to walk in the empowering presence of the Spirit. I hope the Holy Spirit does not just become a fad for our church. We're like a year later, we're like, hey, that was a pretty good series. I like that one in the Holy Spirit. 
Was that called ghost stories? Yeah, that was good. Spooky, you know. <laughs> and then we just kind of continue as is. And I think some things that we need to do to avoid that, just real practically, and we're about done, is one, please listen carefully. This is, I'm trying to get as practical as I can. If we don't want to treat the Holy Spirit as a fad, but as God, the first thing we need to do is we need to learn to cultivate a life of prayer. And I don't just mean getting on your knees in the morning and praying. That, that, that's part of it. But I mean while you're doing dishes, while you're driving, while you're at the gym, while you're on your morning run, just learning to talk to God and listen to God. Prayer is a two-way street. It's talking to God and it's listening to God. It's learning before a big decision to talk to God and listen to God. Before what seems to be no decision at all, to talk to God and listen to God. When the kids are going crazy at the house, just learning to talk to God and listen to God. Throughout your life, just cultivating a life of prayer. And I would say as a church, this doesn't just mean that we need to learn to pray in our private life. We also need to learn to engage in corporate prayer. I would say that possibly one of the most discouraging things... I think for me as a pastor, and I think I can speak on behalf of Rusty and Luke, is the lack of corporate prayer that we see within our own church. We can call an emergency meeting the day of and have 60 people show up for it. And we can set prayer meetings each month and have 10 people show up for it. I'm telling you, here's why that is. It's not a priority. We don't see it as a privilege, and we don't really feel like if God doesn't move on our behalf that this thing's going to go under. We're convinced that we can pull it off. And I would just say, woe unto us if that continues. We must cultivate a life of prayer. The early church was a spirit-filled church, and what you will see is they were also a praying church. They would come together regularly, corporately, and pray for God to move, and he would. So we need to cultivate prayer. Few of the things I would say is we need to continue learning. We have compiled a whole bunch of resources for you guys to learn more about the Holy Spirit if you want them. We're going to email them out on Avanto and put them on Facebook later this week. Articles, books, sermons, right? Continue to learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in your life. The third thing I would say is this. If we are going to walk in the Holy Spirit, we need to learn to reject consumerism. We need to learn to reject consumerism. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at this passage, it is clear that you cannot possibly separate your being saved from your being sent on a mission. I'll say that again to make sure we're all here. When you look in the Bible, and we see in this text, you cannot separate your being saved from your being sent on a mission. And so what that means is the very reason God gives us His Spirit is so that we can live as missionaries. And so if you're here this morning, first off, let me just say this. If you're not a Christian, you come and you consume all you want. But if you're here and you claim to be a Christian and this is your family, stop consuming. Stop just coming and saying, you know what? I'm not giving anything. I don't want to serve. I'm not going to get plugged in anywhere. I'm just coming here because that's where my buddy is or because I just so happen to like that preaching better or that band better. Listen, if you're doing that, you're more influenced by the American dream than biblical Christianity. 
And you're not going to you're not going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life if that's the case. The Spirit has given you to live on mission. Stop consuming. That's not the way of life, guys. Jesus said, if you find your life here, you'll lose it. But if you will lose your life, you will find it. So if we want to experience the power of the presence, let's reject consumerism. Two more things I'd say. If you want to experience the Spirit's power, I would also say get involved in an MC. And it doesn't matter what you call it, missional communities, whatever. What I'm just trying to say is you need to get involved in community. Community is not our idea, it's God's idea. God created you for community. When we started this church, we said, let's just start with the Bible and draw a picture of what the church is going to look like. And so we went to the book of Acts and we saw the very first missional community. The very first group of people that were living as a family of missionary servants seeking to make disciples who make disciples. And if we're going to really experience the Spirit in ways like we never had before, we need to get involved in a missional community. That's a safe place to practice the gifts of the Spirit, which we've talked about. It's a safe place to learn how to pray. It's a safe place where you can actually go out on mission with other missionaries and learn what it looks like to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that are involved in a missional community, do you not need the Holy Spirit when you're out at the park and your kids are going crazy and you're trying to love people, but you're trying to make sure your kid isn't hit by a car, right? Like, you need the Holy Spirit in those moments. Like, we know that's a place where we need the Spirit more than we do sitting on the couch and just watching TV. The fifth thing I would just say is this, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. This takes time to cultivate this. Don't be discouraged. There's going to be times where you dive into the Word, maybe even tomorrow morning, you're going, like, okay, I'm going to do this, and you're going to open up the Bible, and it's going to feel like pages or words on a page. There's going to be times where you're going to want to pray, and you're going to feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. There's going to be times where you're trying so hard to walk in the power of the Spirit, but then you yell at your spouse. And in those moments, you're going to be tempted, or the enemy's going to be in your ear saying, see, you're never going to be able to live the life God's called you to. Ever, ever, ever. Give up. Don't give up. Know today that Jesus Christ stands ready to pour his spirit out on you and he stands ready for the rest of your life to pour his spirit out on you until one day you're in glory and you experience his presence in fullness. We just need to keep going to him and he says he will pour out his spirit and as a result, Jesus will become sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and then out of the overflow of his empowering presence in our life, we will see this city flooded with joy as more and more we are making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in this city. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Our band's going to come forward. We're going to sing one more song. And in our time of response, let's begin, let's begin with just prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit right now. Let's take a few moments to practice listening to God. I just want to ask you in light of this, or encourage you in light of this to ask God, God, what do you have for me? Are there areas I need to repent? What are some areas I need to change? Listen to him. Listen. He is wanting to speak to you for your good. He's not wanting to hurt you. He's wanting to help you. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you life. He wants to set your eyes on Jesus. Maybe for some of you this morning, you have never trusted in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You're not going to Christ in any area of your life. You are trusting in your own works, your own power, your own efforts to make you right before God and to pull off this life. And today, he says to repent, to stop trying so hard and to trust in my performance on your behalf. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is here today. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you will show someone here this morning what you can do. Would you be gracious enough right now if there really is someone here who is thirsty 
who is unsatisfied, who is tired of looking for satisfaction in things of the world, would you please be so gracious to open their eyes to see you as you really are? And would you then fill them up, transform them from the inside out? Ultimately, God, we know for their good, but for your renown. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.